Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. You may note the treasure chest here in front of me. We worked with the kids all week to help them understand that though there are many riches and many treasures that you can find, God is by far the greatest treasure man can find. And we are thankful that it is not up to our finding him. God finds us. You've never sought a treasure that found you, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have worked all week through various lessons and teachings, and those who sat through 20-minute lessons in the other room with myself and Pastor Gary are probably wondering, how in the world are you going to cover five 20-minute lessons this morning? Well, it's going to be something, so some foundation. I'm, I'm glad, kids, if you were in the lessons, I'm glad now to be able to share everything that you learned with these adults, because they need it as much as you need it. We all need these truths. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, wrote that what can be known about God is plain to man because God has made it known. Verse 20, chapter 1 in Romans says, For God's invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, understood, ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. God possesses various attributes, and he has revealed them in two ways. You can consider this. God reveals his attributes to us, his various attributes, in two ways. One, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John 1.14 goes on and says that the Word became flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. And John 1.18 says that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made him known. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance of his glory, the radiance of his splendor. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, and that is because Jesus is God. There is no difference in the divine nature, the divine character, the attributes of God. Jesus possesses them all because he is God. And the other way that God reveals his attributes, as Romans tells us, is in creation. Two great ways, and interestingly enough, the world would say, prove to me that God exists. And it's interesting that the more I consider that question, And the more that I consider God, the less I have to look for proof. And I'm like, how can you not see? 
God has revealed himself and his attributes, what can be known of God, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, has been made known by God to us in creation and in his word. And the Spirit of God imparts to us the wisdom of God to acknowledge God and to know him. Any understanding of the attributes of God must come from the foundational Christian belief that the Bible, God's word, is God's word to us. It is the only written revelation of God to man. There is no other source of information outside of the Bible. And when we say Bible, I'm always very careful to make sure that we talk about the Bible, all 66 books, 39 Old Testament, and 27 New Testament, and maybe I got those numbers backwards, I should check, I got them right. It is God's own word to us. Now God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has two types of attributes. Everybody said, what? God has many attributes. And the ones that we can know about are revealed to us in his word and in creation. But God has two types of attributes. God has communicable, everybody said, that's a big word. No, 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 see, I've been working with kids all week. This is a bit of an interactive Sunday where I need to know that you're all paying attention to the words coming out of my mouth. Communicable is a big word. And everybody said, that's a big word. word. It's a big word that means that God has made it so that man in imperfect ways, can be like him. And everybody said, wait a second. Well, we can't be like God. That's how Satan tempted Eve in the garden. With Surely God knows that if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. What was the great temptation? She already was. She was created in his image perfect and without sin in the garden. She was already like God. Satan tempted her with there is something else for you though, Eve. God is withholding something from you. God has indeed made it so that man can be like him. And somebody in the room wants an example of that. God says to his people, love one another. 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. And God tells us to love. So therefore, God who is love telling us to love means that we can love as God loves. But it's really hard for us because we're broken by sin. Another example. God says in his word, both Old and New Testament, be Holy. Well, God is holy. Who can be holy like God? Well, none of us, but he calls us to be. So God has made it so that we can be holy. Our holiness is faulty in this world because we are burdened by sin. We are encumbered, as Paul says, by this body of death. But God says to his people, be holy. God has made it so that his people can be holy. Now, God is perfect in love. God is perfect in love in holiness. God is perfect in every attribute that is communicable to man. And we are not perfect in them, but we can be like him in communicable ways. God has made it so that man can be like him. Two types of attributes though. The first one communicable, the second one incommunicable. And everybody said, that's a bigger word. It's a bigger word. And it means no one and nothing can be like God incommunicable attributes. Man cannot be. We can love. It's imperfect, but we can do it. We can, we can be holy, and we struggle to do it, but we can. You know what we can't be? 
all wise. You know, we can't be all powerful. You know, we can't be all everywhere. We cannot be from everlasting to everlasting, though we will have eternal life with him. That's his promise. But we have a beginning and we have an eternal end. God has no beginning and he has no end because he is from everlasting to everlasting and we are not. These are incommunicable attributes and the attributes that we talked about this week with the kids. Kids, let me see your hands. Let me see you. If you you were at VBS, let me see your hands. Okay, you're going to have to help the adults. They're going to be looking around to see what we used as made-up sign language to remember. But do you remember the first day we learned that God is great? Hey, thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Great. And I forgot. I got five of them in my head. We learned that God is great. And we learned that God is mighty. And we learned that God is ruler. And we learned that God is with us. And we learned that God is is dependable, trustworthy. These are incommunicable attributes that we cannot possess as his people. It is some of these incommunicable attributes of God that we have looked at all week. And I intend to remind us this morning today so that we can have a bigger view of a big God and bring him a greater glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I know that I am not capable of communicating your incommunicable attributes without the help of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray, would you help me to communicate these truths of who you are to those that have here gathered? Father, I thank you for the children and the opportunity to teach them. And now I pray, God, that you would teach your people, us adults, that sometimes get a little too stuffy. Sometimes we get a little too complacent. Sometimes life causes us to be a little too cynical. Oh, Father, help us to see the greatness of who you are through the eyes of a child. Help us like children to come before you, our God and King. Father, I pray that today through your word that sinners would be humbled to repentance. I pray, God, that holiness would be promoted among your people. And I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 145, verse 3. Among the children in the room, who thinks they remember Psalm 145, verse 3 from, oh man, it's on the screen, take it down. (laughs) Who thinks they remember Psalm 145, verse 3? I got a tie between brothers. Both of you come up here. Come on, yep, come on. All right, all right. All right, stand here, face them, stand next to him, facing them. Your name? Liam. Your name? Declan. Declan, do you have it memorized, Psalm 145, verse 3? Tell everybody what it is. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Get out, Liam. Yeah! All right, go ahead. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, his greatness is unsearchable. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. That's from Monday. And all the adults said, I wish I could do that. Oh, you can. Oh, you can. Memorize God's word. God is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Greatness can be an easily misunderstood word for us. 
When we think of greatness, it is likely that we think of something that is large. Maybe you've looked at the Rocky Mountains, you've considered the greatness of the Rocky Mountains, or maybe you think of the greatest athlete or the greatest sports team, or perhaps you think about the greatest band ever. But do you know what all of those greatest depend on? Every one of them. Do you know what they depend on? They depend on your preference. Because some people would look at the Rockies and say, wow, they're great, but, but the Smokies are greater. Some would say, oh man, the Chicago Bulls in the 90s were great. And somebody might say that some other sports team, yeah, maybe Golden State is greater. Preference. It's all preference, do you understand? Some might say, oh man, the greatest band ever was, ah, whatever, make it up. And somebody else might say, no, I, I, I disagree that such and such was a, a greater band. All based on personal preference, but what I want you to understand is that God's greatness is not up to our personal preference. God is great. Greatness of God does not depend on our personal preference. When we talk about the greatness of God, when we say that God is great, we are talking about his majesty. We are talking about his splendor. We are talking about his glory. God is not just great, you understand. He is the greatest. There is no one and nothing greater than God. And it is not a matter of preference. God has said so in his word to us. From God by his own mouth and word to the prophet Isaiah. Any child in the room remember what a prophet is? Any child, a prophet. What is a prophet? Do you even in the front row remember what a prophet is? We talked about prophet. Let's see. We'll give it a try. A prophet is what? Um, someone who um, tells people about God. Someone who tells people about God. Specifically, someone who tells people what God has said. A prophet is someone who tells people words from God. And the prophet Isaiah a mighty prophet. We'll talk about why in a little bit. Isaiah had these words from God, God about his own greatness. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. There's no other God. Isaiah 43, 10. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, I am the first and the last Beside me, there is no God. Isaiah 46, 9. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. People say, oh, you're God being God, being a great God. That's just a matter of your opinion. I think that this God is greater. No, 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 it's not a matter of my opinion. It's a matter of divine truth revealed through God's inspired word to man. God is great. He has declared his greatness, and there is no other God. We learned this past week about the God of the Bible. As revealed in the Bible, you can go ahead and make up a God if you want to. Adults, I hope you're paying attention because there's so much biblical worldview to help people with. People are making up gods all the time. The reason that people aren't in church today is because they're making up gods. The reason that we live in a town of 500 where less than 200 people attend church in this town is because they're making up gods and they're serving them. But there is only one God. You can make up another God, but it is pointless because there is only one. And we learned about made up gods this past week through the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 in Athens. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I would encourage you to read Acts chapter 17. 
The children learned about the Athenian people, the people of Athens, with their infamous pantheon. Remember that that word we talked a couple weeks ago means collection of gods. The pantheon of Greek mythological gods made up. We talked about four of these gods. Listen to these thoughts. Kronos, a god in Greek mythology, who felt that it would be better for him to harm his father and his brothers so that they could not be more powerful than him. That's, that's what they believe about the Greek god Kronos. I want all power, so I will harm anyone in my way to have power. We learned about Zeus. Everyone's heard the name Zeus. The Greek people believing that Zeus, his symbol, the lightning bolt, he would just hurl lightning to the earth in fits of anger and rage for no reason. Are you paying attention to the gods of the world? There's two of them. We learned about the Greek god Nike. Yeah, you'll think about it next time you put yours on. The Greek god Nike, known for victory and getting it at any cost. Unfair, cheating, underhanded ways. I will win and none other. We learned about Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea, who would randomly, they believe, just destroy ships and drown people because he could. Gods of the world. How about those? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, why do, you, why do you go to church? Why do you, why, do you, why do you serve that God of yours? What God are you serving? Because all the gods of the world are doing the same thing. The God of this world, little g, the God of this world is destroying people who are following we learned about Paul speaking to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17. They invited him to a place called the Areopagus. Everybody said Areopagus. Yeah, big, funny, goofy word, but it's fun if you say it right. Areopagus. And Paul goes and he says to the men of Athens, you can read it in Acts 17, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious people. For everywhere I go, I see idols and I see gods fashioned after every manner of God. I even find a God and it says the unknown God. And Paul goes on to say, that which you do not know, I now proclaim to you. And he proclaims this about the unknown God, the God of heaven and earth who Paul's serving. What you do not know, I now declare to you. He says this, God is not made with hands. God is not a God made with hands. What are you making God with your hands? God is not made of silver or gold. God is not living in temples. God is not served by human hands. He's not in need of anything. But he gives life and breath and everything to man. He would go on, and he now commands all people to repent. That is the God of heaven. Challenging to the Athenian people, to the Greek people. And the Bible says that some mocked him. They laughed into his face, you're a lunatic says it somewhere like, we want to hear more from this. Tell us more, Paul. And the Bible says, kids, you remember? Some of them immediately left their ways and followed him, convinced that he was talking of the one true God. There is only one great God. He is not made up. He is greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Children, God is mighty. Who thinks they remember the memory verse from day two? And I will give you a hint. It's in Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Who knows it? Jeremiah 32, 27. Does anybody remember it? I do. No hands. Okay. Oh, come on up, Jonah. 
Beat feet. Come on. You're running all the time. Come on, come on, come on, come on. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. Stand there. Look at them. Tell me your name, even though I just did. Um, I'm Jonah. Jonah. Jeremiah 32, 27. And one said to another. No. Oh, wait. Uh, I don't know. Behold. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Uh, is anything too hard for me? Good job. Good job. Good job. Kids, you can be thinking about those memory verses. We got three more we're going to work through. Jeremiah 32, 27 on the screen for you now. Behold, I am the God, the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Behold, God says. Behold. You know what that means? Pay attention. Behold, I am the Lord. Pay attention to the words coming out of my mouth, God says. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. No matter your thought or opinion or belief in God right now, maybe you be thinking even about those that you know in the world that are lost, that you want to be saved, and they have some made-up delusional thought about God. God says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. There is nothing, is anything too hard for me, no matter your thought or your opinion. God is the God of all flesh, always. He is God. Three words come to mind when we hear this verse, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Three words that we've talked about recently here at the Village Church. Omnipotent, all-powerful. Omniscient, all-knowing. And omnipresent, all-present. I like to say all-everywhere. It just sounds goofy, but when you think about the simplicity of those words, God is all-everywhere. We learned this past week about Jonah. God told Jonah to do something. And adults in the room, kids be quiet. Let's test their knowledge. God told Jonah to do something. And what did Jonah say to God? Right. I don't think so. What did he do? So the Bible says he went down to Joppa to get on a ship headed for Tarshish to escape from God. Are you trying to escape from God today in something? Let's remember, you're like, oh, pastor, that's a, that's a pretty evangelical question. Most of us here, we go to church, we know the Lord right, right. But God's telling us to do things, and are you obeying him, or are you being like Jonah? We learned through Jonah, God told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah said no. The Bible says that we all alike are like sheep. We are all going our own way. We are all turning to our own way. We have all done that. While sleeping in the bottom of the ship, the Bible says that the Lord hurled a great storm. The Lord caused the storm that found Jonah in the bottom of the ship on the sea. He is the God of all flesh and nothing is too hard for him. And they woke him up, pray to your gods, we're all praying to our gods, so pray to your God so that we might be saved from this. And Jonah says, you're not going to be saved from this unless you throw me into that water because I have done this and God is angry with me and if you sacrifice me, I think he'll spare you. So they do. They throw him into the, into the ocean, the, probably the Mediterranean or whatever sea right there. And the Bible says that God commanded a great fish to swallow him. And did you know, this is one of two of the most absolutely did not happen stories in the Bible for people. Did you know that? You know what the other one is? Balaam and that talking donkey. Everybody's like, oh, there's no way that a donkey spoke to anyone. And there's no way that God made a fish big enough to swallow a person to live for three days in his stomach. And God says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I see you, Jonah, in the bottom of the boat. 
I see you, Jonah, in the water. I see you, Jonah, in the belly of the fish. And Jonah says he cried out to the Lord. I love what the, what the word says. He cried out to God. I cried out to you, Jonah chapter 2, read it. I cried out to you in my distress. I remembered my God. He heard me. And the chapter ends with Jonah saying that God commanded the fish. Why? God of all flesh. Commanded the fish. Spit him out. And the fish spit him out onto dry land. And, and Jonah decided he was going to obey because disobedience was not fun. I will obey you, God. He goes to, goes to Nineveh, preaches to them, and they repent. Point of the day, God is almighty. You cannot run from God. And listen, the lost world's not running from him. They're lost. Jonah was of God's people. I am a Hebrew. I believe in the God of heaven, and I am disobeying him. So this word comes to us, Christian. God is almighty. I'm the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? By coincidence, the entire book of Jeremiah is God spewing forth his judgment on his people for their disobedience. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. He is the God of all flesh. Which brings us to our next point and our next verse. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Someone already tried to say it. It was Jonah just now. Does anybody remember Isaiah 6, 3? Children from VBS, wake up. Wake up. Isaiah 6, 3. Put it up on the screen, and one called to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah 6, 3, God is ruler. We would say, in another word, sovereign over all things. Isaiah was a prophet. We already examined a prophet, one who speaks words from God, to people or a certain group of people. Isaiah was a prophet speaking God's word. That's how we have the Bible. First, second Peter chapter one, verse 21 tells us no word of prophecy exists by someone's own interpretation, but men spoke as they heard from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah is viewed as a mighty prophet, a major prophet for at least two reasons. One, because of the words that God gave him. If you've never read the book of Isaiah, I would encourage it. Because of the words God gave him, mighty, incredible words about things that were going to happen. And because of how God revealed himself. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 6 so we can look at this together. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. One of the reasons Isaiah is considered a great prophet is because of how God revealed himself. Look at this. Remember 1 John 1.14 earlier, no eye has seen God, but God gave Isaiah a vision of his throne room. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, 
and the house was filled with smoke. Let's read through uh, verse 5 and 6. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. Other versions, if you have a different version, might say, I am undone. I am dead, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched you. Your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was a prophet declaring great things from God. Some interaction. What did God, what did Isaiah see the Lord sitting on? Oh, church people. We'll try again. Kids were really ready to answer. In fact, I had one kid all week. I want to tell you something. No, I want to tell you something. Just wait. Okay, it's okay, people, to be uncomfortable sometimes in church. What did Isaiah see God sitting on? A throne. Who sits on a throne? Kings, queens, rulers, sovereigns, monarchs sit on thrones. What else did he see? He said he saw something filling the temple. What filled the temple? His robe. What do we know about robes? In ancient time, this is something out of our context today. Uh, if you watched any of the Platinum Jubilee celebration for Queen Elizabeth in England, you may have seen something. But like, what do we know of monarchs? They normally have this long robe and this long train behind them, right? And in ancient times, the greater the robe, the more important you were. The greater the robe, the more importance bestowed upon you. You ever seen a picture of any king or queen ever that could have a picture taken of them where their train, where their robe filled the place where they were? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and his robe filled the temple. God is an important ruler, but he is not just an important ruler. The Bible tells us that God is the sovereign ruler. There is none, remember what Isaiah said, none before him, none after him, none beside him, none above him. He is God. He is the sovereign creator. He is the sovereign sustainer of all things. If the throne and the robe weren't awesome enough for Isaiah to see, I have to wonder, what did he think about those seraphim? It says, above him stood the seraphim. How many? I don't know. They just stood there, covered their eyes with two wings, covered their feet with two wings, flew with two wings, and they were shouting. And you need to understand, in the ancient language, there's three times, holy, holy, holy. You know what's happening here? These seraphim, however many they are, let's try and picture. We can't, but let's try to picture the throne of God and his robe filling the temple and these things flying above him and around him. You know what they're doing? They're doing this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. His glory fills. And the others are, holy, holy, holy. They're just declaring this over and over and over, continually just back and forth. You know why? Because God is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. And when was the last time you ever continually, repeatedly shouted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He is not simply an important ruler on the throne with a robe that fills the temple. His glory fills the earth. That is our God. 
That is the God that we are teaching these children about all weekend long. That is the God that if these thoughts do not invigorate you, I want you to step into the reality of God's word and see a God who is high and lifted up. You are not making him lifted up. You are not making him high. He is that. And he deserves our praise and our glory. This is majesty. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. As God's children, we are to declare the glory of God. We are to tell our story about God's glory. And if we are not, we are treading dangerously close on disobedience in regards to silence about our God who will be glorified. If these mouths will stay silent, I will command that the rocks and the trees cry out. God's children. Children, Romans 5, 8. These are a lot closer. Romans 5, 8. Any child remember Romans 5, 8? I see several cringing. I think I do. I think I do. I see you thinking. You know it? Come on. Hustle, come on, run, run, run. Stand over here this time and face them still. Welcome back. Romans 5.8. And God showed his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you very much. Perhaps one of the greatest verses in all of scripture. One of, I say that every week about every verse. God shows his love. I told the children, I love the word demonstrates. Listen, if you love something, how are you showing it? How are you demonstrating that you love? Husbands, do you love your wife? In what way are you demonstrating that? Wives, do you love your husbands? In what way are you demonstrating that? Parents, do you love your children? How are you demonstrating that? Children, do you love your parents? How are you demonstrating that? If you're not demonstrating that, how does anyone know that you love them? We know that God loves us because he showed us We don't know because the Bible says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Yes, it says that, but we know that because he showed us in the death of his son. God demonstrates his love. How do we become children of God? How do we become God's children? Are we we born children of God? Did you know other people believe this about us as Americans? In the world, they think that we're just Christians, You're just born Christians, but they don't have any idea or context for what Christian means. We're not just born Christians. Most of us probably fought being Christians most of our lives until God took us to the mat with the weight of his glory. We became a Christian when God saved us, when the greatest treasure available to mankind found us. How do we become children of God? Do we give? Do we do? Do we earn? All throughout the scripture, what must I do to be saved? And sinners, it says that Christ died for sinners. What is sin? Remember, any violation of God's command is sin. Every disobedience to what God says. Why did Christ die for sinners? Am I a sinner? Did Christ die for me? Pastor, are you about to ready to walk through the gospel with this? You bet I am. Because if there's a day in your life where you forget the power of God to salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded of the gospel. We walked through it with some pictures that will be on the screen. And you won't 
necessarily tell the color, but that's a green diamond. And in that diamond is, well, Adam and Eve. God created them. The Bible says he made everything. And Genesis 1.31 says that God looked on his creation and said, Behold, it is all very good. It's without sin. It's without stain. It's good. But we all know what they did because I remind you of it frequently. They disobeyed God. They ate of the fruit. Don't eat of the fruit. Adam and Eve, you can eat of anything in the garden, but don't eat of the fruit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the next one shows us and it reminds us because it's black that they ate the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned and they brought sin to every one of us. All have sinned. By one man came death. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned, Romans tells us. God created all things and all things were good. And mankind disobeyed God, corrupted. Sin entered the world. We talked about having problems. Kids, you remember? Every problem has a... Good job, good job. Even some of the leaders remembering. And all the adults said, solution. Every problem has a solution. We come into a dark room, that's a problem. What's the solution? I'm not convinced you know what to do if you come into a dark room. Come into a dark room, that's a problem. You, you're, you're thirsty, that's a problem. So you, that's a solution. You're a sinner, that's a problem. Everybody said, that's a problem. Right, but I'm not convinced that you understand how much of a problem it is. It's crisis level fever pitch problem. Sin is a problem. The world wants to diminish sin. It's okay, it's okay. God's gonna forgive you, God is love. No, God does not tolerate sin. God does not just permissively allow sin. God forgives sin. God judges sin. Those are God's two postures towards sin. He forgives it and he judges it. We're sinners and that's a problem. So we've learned next about God coming to us. And if that doesn't start to twist your heart to know that your problem could not be solved by you, I cannot die for you and you cannot die for me to atone for sin. My children in this room, I cannot die for them. Every parent around would say, I would give my life for my children, but you can't give your life for your children before God. Sin is a problem, and Christ came for us. Sin is a problem, and the angel said to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save his people from their sins. Sin is the problem. That makes Christ the solution. Some of you know Christ is the solution. Makes Christ the solution. But how? Just because he came and was born and lived? No, not just because he came and was born and he lived. He lived a sinless life. You cannot believe that Jesus Christ sinned. You cannot entertain the thought that, well, I think he may have sinned. You would be, should be, devastated to know the amount of Christians in churches who think that Jesus sinned. You would be astonished. I hope that no one here believes that. I hope you don't entertain the thought of that. Christ did not sin. The Bible tells us he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. Holy, perfectly holy, divine God in the flesh did not sin. We cannot entertain the thought of Christ having sinned. For if he had, 
he could not be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Lived a sinless life. Tempted in always as we are, yet did not sin. He came to us. And he died on the cross. The one and only Son of God, eternal Son of God, stepped into time as man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and died perfectly. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up for our sin. And he was raised for our justification. He came to settle the wrath of God on sin, to be the propitiation for sin, the satisfaction for sin for all who would believe through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he died for our sins. He was buried. He rose. He ascended. He's returning. This last picture that we looked at here, I asked the children, what does that look like? It's a diamond and the picture's inside and one of the youngest kids in the youngest group, I did not have preschoolers, one of the youngest kids, he said this and it was so great. I just, I'll never forget, I don't think I'll ever forget it. He stood and looked at it and he said, it looks like a futuristic city. Oh, child. So futuristic. Unlike any city you've ever known. Unlike any city that's ever existed. I was listening to a song this morning. We wait for a city that's not stained with sin. We will live in a sinless state. Sin no more existing. Christ died for us. He rose again. He ascended to heaven and he is returning that where he is we may be with him. How do we become children of God? Parents, you should know. Adults of the village, you should know. Your children were taught. Repent of sin. If we are not recognizing our sin before God, we are believing or following a gospel that will end up in a false category. Sin must be repented of. Confess your sin. God, forgive me. I am a sinner. The Bible says, call on the Lord. Believe and confess that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 11 says that everyone who calls, no one who calls will be put to shame. And verse 13 says that everyone who calls will be saved. This is the promise of God. This is the power of God unto salvation. I ask you this morning, even though you sit here, many of you I know personally, I ask for those I do not know, have you repented of sin? Have you seen your sin in the face of a holy God? Have you believed the gospel that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose again, that he's the only satisfaction for your sin? Do you blindly through faith say, I believe God that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus, you are Lord. Brings us to our last verse of the week. We'll wrap up this morning. Who remembers Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Come on up. Several, oh, several hands. Everybody knew that one. Come on up. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Oh, man, a group. It's a group effort. All right. Oh, oh boy. Come on. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Your name? Nicole. Your name? Audrey. Your name? Your name? Lady. Okay, so I can't hold this so you all can use it. So what I'm going to do is say, one, two, three, go. And you guys tell me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 the best you can. Don't tell me. Tell them. Okay, they're going to need to hear you. Ready? One, two, three, go. Louder, louder. They can't hear you. They can't hear you. Loud. Be loud. Be loud. Super loud. Go. Awesome, 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 thank you. 
Trust in the Lord. We taught the children, if there are only four words that you can learn from this verse, you memorize those first four words of that verse. You memorize all of it, but if there's only four, the first four. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And this, for all those wondering, I believe that Jesus died for me. I, I believe I'm striving to live a life for him. What does that look like? How does that flesh out practically? Right here. Right here. I've believed that Christ died for my sin, and this is how those who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ should live their lives. Trusting the Lord in all things, with all things, for all things. Kids, who did we talk about that night? Tell me his name on three, one, two, three. Oh, who do we talk about? Trust in the Lord. Who do we talk about? Trust in the Lord. It was a young boy and a big man. His name was David and Goliath. And you know what we didn't talk about, parents? Take a note. We didn't talk about how to kill your giants. We didn't talk about what giants you're facing in your life. We didn't talk about the struggles that you have, and I just need a solution to them. We talked about understanding what those are and putting your trust in the Lord. David had no idea how to kill the giant. He only knew what he'd ever done. He only knew what God had ever done through him. He only knew, no, 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 no. This man's defying God, and I will go out against him as I did against the lion and the bear, and I will because I serve the Lord God. Trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord with all things, in all things, for all things. Sometimes we trust people. Somebody's thinking, this, this kind of borders on a communicable attribute of God, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit, because you can trust people. But what are people, gonna, what are people unintentionally at times, and sometimes intentionally, what are people going to do? They're going to let you down. The best that I can do, there will come a point in time where I will likely let down my wife or my children or you. Do you know how about God and his trustworthiness? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is trustworthy all the time, and we are imperfectly at best trustworthy, if we even are trustworthy. A better word here would be the divine attribute that we have talked about prior. God is immutable. He's trustworthy, and that doesn't change. Man's trust is kind of like man's greatness, depending on preference and opinion and where they are that day. Can I count on you? I don't really know if I can count on you. Like, man, you were great last week, but this week you've been late to work every day, 20, 25 minutes every day. What in the world? I, it's been going on for a long time, and I just don't know if I can depend on you anymore. That's not the position that we find God. Those whom God has saved have no fear of the future. Our greatest problem is solved. We don't fear tomorrow. We sing the song, grew up singing the song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We don't fear that. We'll face hard, scary, and sad things in our life. I don't know what to do. This is difficult. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where. This is scary. I've lost and I'm sad. You're going to face those things. But through trust in the Lord, through trust in God, we have a hope and a confidence that perseveres through the things that are scary, that are hard, that are sad. We find a hope through faith in Jesus Christ that is greater than things in this life that are harder, scary, or sad. And as you get to know God by the truth of his word, 
Boy, I hope you're reading the word. I hope that you are in prayer, seeking God in his word, to know him in his word. As we get to know God by the truth of his word, by the power of his spirit, that hope grows. Pastor, I'm not very hopeful. I'm facing stuff that's scary, that's hard, that's sad. Draw closer to God in those moments. All moments, every moment. Draw closer to God before those moments so that when the tempest comes, David didn't show up and say, oh man, I'm really worried about this giant. What am I gonna do? He showed up having been prepared previously to trust in the Lord. If you have truly believed through faith in Jesus Christ, then you should have hope beyond circumstance. You should have hope beyond this life. You should have hope for a thousand years from now. If you have truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be come what may. Still all my days I will trust in Jesus. God is great. God is mighty. God is ruler. God is with us. God is trustworthy. Behold our God. He is our God. Do you know him? I want to pray and we're going to worship together one song that I felt at the end of the week was simply fitting. So would you join me in prayer? We'll sing one song and then we'll get all these anxious kids moving again. Heavenly Father, God, may we, Lord, according to the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, may we draw closer to you, our God, who is like you, none. Who is beside you, none. None before, none behind, first and last, you are God. Father, may we, in greater ways, through the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, may we understand that you are great, May we know and live that you are great. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. And your greatness is unsearchable. Father, I pray that we would walk remembering and living and knowing that you are the God of all flesh and there is nothing that is too hard for you. You are all powerful. And you are not in danger of being usurped in your power. You are all powerful, the God of all flesh. Father, I pray that we, with the seraphim continually around your throne, would continually, holy, holy, holy. Father, I pray that we would declare that in our lives. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with your glory. May we, Father, as we declare your glory, may we fill the earth with your glory as it is and should be rightfully proclaimed. God, I pray that we will remember and cling to the fact that while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord Jesus, you saved us in our sin, from our sin. You paid our debt. May we remember you are with us. You are not a God far away. You are a God that is near. And Father, I pray that as we commit to knowing these things and walking in these things, God, I pray that we will trust you with all our heart, that we will not lean on our own understanding, that we will not try to figure out the problem, the solution. You are the solution to our problem. And I pray that we will trust you in all things, with all things, and for all things, that we will acknowledge you and you will make straight our paths. God, you are good. You are great. You are mighty. You are holy. And we worship you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at 
Until next time, stay in God's word.